0: Hello. Thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. to see each of you here this morning. If you can take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Daniel, we'll continue our series here this morning. Great to be able to sing praises to our great God. What an awesome opportunity that He's given us this day. Thank you for singing and sharing and Worshiping with us here today. My name is Aaron Varner. I have the great privilege of being in the senior pastor here. If we haven't met yet, make sure that you um, introduce yourself to me as I want to get to know you. So glad that we can join and jump into Daniel chapter 9 here this morning. Before we do that, before we read through it, um, just a couple quick um, words, announcements. Um, if you don't get your The weekly bulletin, um, we send that every Friday out. It has some important information. Well, it has a lot of important information um, for you. But if you missed it, I just want to highlight a couple of things. Number one, um, Bill Barclay went home to be with the Lord two weeks ago. And uh, we have in there about his service. A service that will be held here September 10th at 11 o'clock. It's a Saturday at 11 o'clock. We'll meet here and, and honor the Lord Uh, through Remembering Bill. Uh, Marie-Louise Christopher uh, passed away about a month ago. Uh, Her family is, uh, we're doing a memorial service for Marie-Louise on Sunday, October 2nd. At 1 o'clock, they'll be uh, inviting guests to come to Billows, which is just down the road here. Um, Billows and Fairlawn here, and then there'll be a service at 2 o'clock. So October 2nd is that. I just want to let you know, to be in prayer for Georgia our office administrator, Georgia, fell. Um, tomorrow, it'll be three weeks ago. Uh, she fell at the zoo. Um, it was really cool. You should have saw this elephant that came out and just ran. Out. No, I wish it was that. Like, it's funny. Bernie said, I wish we had a really good story to talk about it. Um, but um, she just she fell. She tripped over the, a curb and, uh, and, and fell. They did uh, 20-some x-rays. At that point, they told her she didn't have any breaks. Uh, Her knee had been bothering her so much, she went back to the doctor on on Friday. They found out that she has a broken um, part of her leg with four different floating chips and pieces of her bone. Um, They're most concerned about uh, ligament damage, and so she'll go for an MRI on Friday, and then we'll see the doctor that following week. So um, just be in prayer, if you would, for Georgia. Uh, and for Bernie, as they walk through this uh, this trial here, uh, I asked her to put it in the prayer bulletin. I didn't check and see how much she put in. She did put it in there, which is good because um, I was like walking out the door as I told her, you need to make sure because uh, she was in the office Friday. She wasn't in at all the um, that whole week. I'm not sure what office hours are going to be. So if you call or you show up and nobody's here, we'll get back to you. Just leave a note or Um, message and we'll we'll work through that Um, one final thing is I just want to invite all men Um, men you've been on my heart I've been praying it's close to two years now a year and a half at least and I just really feel called for men to gather together and for us to talk about character and and we're not going to go through the Bible lesson a book of the Bible we're not going to go through another book I'm gonna just talk about uh, one characteristic that I think at a time each week, but we're gonna join together on Thursdays at seven o'clock at Akron Family Restaurant. Akron Family Restaurant's just down on West Market. You can do a Google search. Um, But when Thursdays at Akron Family at seven o'clock in the morning, Um, that's where we're gonna start. And if you're able to come, even if you just come for 20 minutes, half hour, and then you had to head to work, totally understand that. Um, but we're going to do that Akron family restaurant for men uh, at 7 on Thursdays and calling it Strong Men. All right, let's get in the word. Ready for Daniel 9? All right, let's read it together. Daniel 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahas, Ahas, Azurus, a descendant of. Ammed by descendant of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign I Daniel perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the ending before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem namely 70 years then I turned my face to the Lord God seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy for with fasting and sackcloth and ashes I prayed to the Lord, my God, and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers. And to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he has set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your law. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has Come upon us, yet we do not entreat the favor of, of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day, We have sinned and we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill. Because for our sins and for the iniquity of our fathers, Jerusalem and our people have become a byword among all those who are around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy, For your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sins of my people, Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord, my God, for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are declared about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint the most holy place. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then, for sixty-two weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decree end is poured out on the desolator. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Pretty cool section of passage passage of Daniel. Let me encourage you as we begin here in the very beginning. uh, A lot of people will jump and they will take verses 24, 25, 26, and 27. How many verses is that? That's four verses. You, you are allowed to respond a little bit with me. Just don't throw things at me, okay? That's four verses, all right? There are 23 verses preceding those, how many verses? Four. So, are we going to focus only on the four? No. Because in order to understand the four, we need to go back And read the first 23 and to understand those. Understand the context here. All right. The great part about what we're seeing here in our text today is those four verses at the end are actually an answer to prayer. Daniel is praying and he's pleading, and God answers his prayer. That's the summary of our chapter here today. The breakdown is this: we see in verses one and two, there's a setting, right? Setting and the time. There's a prayer in verses 3 through 19. We see that God answers that prayer in verses 20 through 23. And we see the vision explained in verses 24 through 27. So let's dig in. I believe, again, you do your research, you do your study. We're looking at the time frame here. If Daniel were 14 or 15 years old in 605 B.C., all right. What happens in 605 BC? Daniel chapter one verse one. Nebuchadnezzar comes in. He takes over. All right. Babylon just, uh, takes over Jerusalem. At that point, then Daniel is taken along with other exiles uh, to to Babylon. If Daniel is 14 or 15 years old in 605 BC, Daniel is roughly 83 years old here. All right. So we're looking at five. 38 to 537 B.C., sometime in that time frame, okay? So Daniel, as he's recording this at this time in Daniel chapter 9, he's 83 years old. Can I just stop and pause for a moment? I I believe that that age is only a number in in some instances. In other instances, as I get out of bed, I understand it has its effect on you differently too, okay? Okay. When I say it's only a number, I, I want I want you to understand. I want you, because we, we lose this as we're reading, reading the word sometimes. Your age doesn't matter to God. If God wants to use you, it doesn't matter how old you are. Do you understand that and know that? You don't have to be old and wise. You don't have to get... In those middle great years for God to be like, okay, God, here's my best years. And then we get to retirement age and where we're at home and we're thinking, I don't have anything else to give them. No. I did this back a few years ago. If you look at the story of Christmas and the characters of Christmas that are recorded in the word of God, do you know how many of them were senior citizens? Like 90% of them okay, who are well-seasoned. I don't want to offend anybody here this morning, all right? But let me encourage you, no matter what your age, God desires to still use you, whether you're young or whether you're old. Daniel is roughly 83 years old here, and he's still pursuing God. Let's dig in. So as we look here, the setting is in the first year of Darius, um, this is the II, if you do some history. He's a descendant of Amid, which is important. We've already talked about that. If you go back, if you want to listen to past sermons, you can go on our website, or you can go to YouTube and look under West Hill Media. You can find the old uh, sermons there. Um, we see that it was important to prophecy and what Jeremiah had recorded, but even other prophets as it was the Medes who were going to overtake the Babylonians. And sure enough, we see this the first year of Darius. He is a descendant of a Mede. Uh, he is made king over the Chaldeans. In these first two verses, we see, uh, we catch a glimpse of what Daniel's doing, right? In his time, what is he doing? He's reading, he's studying the books um, uh, concerning the number of years that must pass before the end of the desolations. So for 83 years, Daniel has lived on the earth roughly at this point, right? So you subtract um, uh, 14 from that, all right? He's coming up on 70 years of what? Of watching and seeing. He had a front row uh, view of watching Jerusalem be destroyed Babylon taking over uh, uh, his his city, God's people, and them being scattered abroad. And he is reading in Jeremiah, and he says, "You know what? How long is this going to last?" And our text tells us um, here in the very beginning that Daniel wanted to know about the seventy years. All right, in verse two, at the end of it, it says. Uh, um, According to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet must pass before the ending of desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So Daniel knows it's coming up on 70 years. Like he's, he, he is seeing that. There's only a couple of years left. And so when he's looking and he's viewing this, he's like, okay, Lord, what, what does your word have to say about what is next? It is interesting, again, as you look at the, what is being recorded here for us. Uh, The desolations is not just a desolation, it is plural there. All right, and so Daniel has witnessed that, and we know that through history. There's been multiple things that have happened in Jerusalem during this time. It's almost like if somebody were to take your house, all right, and they were going to take it and they were going to break in, they were going to ransack it, they were going to take some of the most valuable things that you hold dear to your life. They might not have much value as far as wealth monetarily, but they are valuable to you. But they take those and they put them on view and they they put them out in the world for everybody to see uh, as a mockery to you. Like, can you believe this person? This is a value to them. And they showcase that. But they're not just done with that. It's like almost every couple of years they're going to come back and they're going to trample on your lawn. They're going to put forks and knives in it. They're going to t- toilet paper your your trees. All right? Anybody ever have that done? Or does that only happen to youth pastors? Hope you got your security camera up now, guys. So um which I have a really cool story about that one time. Come and ask me. I love to talk about the fireworks that I shot off at those who were trying to toilet paper in my house. That's just a warning. I just want to let you know. So all right. Um, but you get the picture. It, it, it's this what we hold sacred and what we hold dear to us that's just been cast aside that no, that, that other people don't. They don't get it. Even more so, here is Daniel. One of God's Jewish people, the the nation of Israel, and he's seen his nation torn apart and he's seen the capital where they are to worship and the temple where they were to gather and worship their God being torn apart. And it's been like that and it's coming close to 70 years and he's saying, Lord, what do you have planned? What's awesome Is where does Daniel turn for the answer? He turns to the word. He's searching the scriptures, right? He's according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. He's looking in the books or the writings. See, Daniel had writings too. And he would dig into them. And we see it very clearly throughout this passage. Daniel is a student of the word because he knows the truths in them. Because he's praying them. He's talking about the the law of Moses. From Moses came this. And he talks about that a couple times. He references it. It would be wise for us to know the word of God. Amen? Here's another interesting fact in these first two verses. We see for the first time in this, in this book a certain word that is critical to this chapter. In verse 2, it says, according to the word of of the Lord. Look at your lettering there of the word Lord. It's probably all capital letters, right? Big L with a capital little O, a capital R, a capital D. Is that correct? All right. So when we see that in our English version, our translators have tried to help us to comprehend and understand there's a different word that's being used there than Lord, which we'll we'll see in other places. For example, when you jump down to, let's say, verse 7. Jump down to verse 7, it says, To you, O Lord, and it's a capital L, but the O-R-D are not capitalized. That's a different Hebrew word. Why Hebrew? Remember, our writer, Daniel, recorded for us, like the first chapter was in Hebrew, First couple chapters were in Hebrew, and then it went Aramaic. But now, remember, last chapter we went back to Hebrew. This is critical and important, I believe, because of this chapter that we see the importance of how Daniel is going to describe who his God is and who he's talking to. Don't miss that as we walk through this. All right. So what I did, so I didn't miss it, and you can do it too if you want to do it as we're as I'm sharing, or maybe later on. Where I put a square around every time the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is here. Because I'll just tell you, it's here eight times in the chapter of 9 of Daniel. So eight times, Daniel uses this word, Lord, meaning Yahweh. All right, And he uses it eight times. And he only uses it in this chapter. He won't use it in any other part of his book which highlights a significance, I believe. And we need to get to why is it here and what does it mean? So uh, let me pause just for a second before we get to that because that's going to take us into the next section. Let me go back as he's reading Jeremiah. Let me reference back for you. This is Jeremiah 25, verses 11 and 12. As Daniel is reading, reading Jeremiah, our Jeremiah that we have, Jeremiah 25, verses 11 and 12, his Jeremiah probably didn't have references, his verse broken up. It was just one long letter, okay, one long book. For us, you can put a lo- little note there right next to Jeremiah the prophet in Daniel 9, 2, and you can put Jeremiah 25, 11, and 12 because that's what Daniel is referencing, He's referencing the 70 years that Jeremiah had prophesied where Israel would be cast out, that, the, that God's hand of punishment would be upon them. That the curse, we're going to see in the text here, the curse is being fulfilled. So let's look now then at this word Lord, meaning Yahweh or Jehovah. This is the term that Israel used for their God. When, when 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 Moses is talking to God and Moses says, who shall I tell them as God is sending them? He says, tell them I am has sent you. All right. We see that reference multiple times throughout. The way the Israelites knew God, he was a God, a covenant God was by this term Yahweh. And so when, when a prophet or when Moses or when any of the leaders that God would appoint, judges, prophets, kings, when they use this term Yahweh, they meant he is the one who is Jehovah. He is the one who has given us a covenant. And so it's His covenant name. That's important for our text as we walk through this too. But in case you miss it, this term Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, Is mentioned in verse 2, verse 4, verse 8, verse 10, verse 13. It's used twice in verse 14 and verse 20. Now, we looked at the other term, Lord, with the little letters. And that term means Adonai or master or sovereign or Lord of Lords. And we see this is used 10 times in our text, it'll be used 17 times. Throughout Daniel, 10 times, the majority of this term is used here in this chapter, meaning master, master or sovereign, which begs, if, you, if he is master, then we are his servants. There's another term used for God here, all right? It's not Lord, but it's God. All right, in our English translation. And if you look at the Hebrew term, it's Elohim. So in verses 3 and verse 4, when it says, Then I turn my face to the Lord, all right, that's Adonai, the Lord God, Adonai Elohim. This is the term Elohim. This is the term that we see from the very beginning in Genesis, where God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. This term is used for deity. So the Lord, he is the master, master, and he is over all. This term Elohim could be used and was used for other gods as well. But in the context of what we see as Daniel is writing this, this isn't just a god of other gods. No, this is the master or the Lord of all other gods. It helps us to understand a little bit. Hopefully it helps you. Because it's so different of a chapter than what we've been going through. We see this as a prayer. As Daniel's crying out to God. We're seeing an intimate relationship as Daniel's talking to his God. And it's important for us not to gloss over the terms that he's using. Because those terms are so significant as Daniel's talking to him. And so you may say, it doesn't matter to me, God's God. Well, that's fine. I just encourage you, go a little deeper than that. Go, go deeper because God, God is so big, he's so awesome, he's so great, and he's so mighty, my brain can't comprehend him. Can yours? If your brain can comprehend him, then you don't really know the true and living God of the Bible. I don't know if you guys are just tired today or what. We see Daniel, he says in verse 3, Then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer, and please for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Daniel, as he's going before God, we... We see what he was doing. It gives us a little bit more intimate picture of what we've already read. If you go back to Daniel 6 and verse 10, it says that Daniel was praying as the other uh, leaders of the land during that time were trying to entrap, and entrap him in, 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 in him worshiping. Not Darius, but worshiping another god. Remember, they were supposed to go, the the ruling was they were only supposed to come through Darius. And Darius was then going to be the mediator to other gods. They weren't to pray to any other gods, but they had to come and pray to him, to Darius. In Daniel chapter 6, we see Daniel goes to the upper uh, part of his home and he prays. What we see here is a picture of what Daniel is praying and how he goes about it. It's a great picture. It gives us a more intimate realization of who this man is and his great devotion and love to who his God was. It wasn't just like he got up on the top of the house and three times a day, he just prayed. He just said, God, thanks for today. I appreciate this day and I hope that you help me. And would you bless me today and bless our people. And amen. And then he went back to work. No, what we see here is, he turned his face to the Lord, which I believe is where he was turning and facing that holy hill that he's going to reference, where he's turning to Jerusalem and remembering the promises and the, and the beauty of the promised land. He turns his face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy. And how did he do that? With fasting and sackcloth and ashes. You know what that's a sign of? Mourning. He's in mourning because almost 68, 69 years, he has seen his nation despised. He's mourning. Daniel chapter nine does not talk about the church. So let me pause for a moment. I'm going to take one step over here because Daniel nine isn't about the church. It has no mention about the church. It isn't about us today. But I will tell you, there are lessons to be learned from Daniel chapter 9 as we walk through this church age. Because I think sometimes we like to complain. We like to boo-hoo about our world today. We'll talk about the things that are bad and nasty of our country or the things that are happening. But are we really mourning? Are our hearts broken? And I have to confess, sometimes mine isn't because it's easier just to talk to you guys and others about how horrible our country has become. Instead of doing what Daniel did. I think there's a lesson for us to learn as we observe and watch him. He is in mourning and he's pleading as he talks to God for God to intervene. Oh, how we need God to intervene today. Verse 4, Daniel says, I prayed to the Lord. I prayed to the covenant God, Yahweh. My God. My God who is above all the other gods of the universe. He says, I made confession. And this is what I said. O Lord, my master, the great and awesome Elohim, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. See, Daniel starts in what we would call as adoration. And it's a good way for us to start our prayers. It's a good model here as Daniel walks through. We see adoration, we see confession, and then we see a petition, his petition or his plea. Daniel begins here in adoration and helping us to understand And to help us to prioritize as we even think about our own prayers. Who are we going to to talk to? As you go before God and you're praying. Is your God the God of Daniel? Or is he just a God that you can understand fully and completely? Daniel is praying and he lifts the name of the Lord up on high. That will be his theme throughout our text. Because it isn't about The answer to his prayer. Daniel's prayer is really all about God. It's about him being glorified. It's about his name. It's about the covenant that he made. Not Israel. Because we see in verse 5. Let's look at about Israel. And I love Daniel because Daniel isn't like. Hey, Israel has been awful. But I love you, Lord. And I've been faithful to you. I think sometimes we walk around as arrogant people thinking that there are much worse people than ourselves. Again, there's a valuable lesson here for Daniel taking ownership of the sins of Israel. He says, we have sinned, verse 5, and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. It's a neat study if you go through that and look at each words. I won't take time now, but it's a pretty cool study if you would just take that verse and dissect what is Daniel really admitting to. Verse 6. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, to our princes, and our, what's that say? To our, our what? Fathers. This is mentioned a couple times in our text. And mothers, don't get me wrong, all right? It's not Mother's Day, it's not Father's Day, but this would be a good Father's Day text. Fathers, there is a huge responsibility that we have. Huge. And we see it here in the text. Fathers is listed right along with who? With kings and princes. I'm not a king. There are a lot of just normal men living around. They weren't kings like David or Solomon. No, there's a call and there's a responsibility even to fathers. Fathers and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, verse 7, to you, O Lord, Master, our Master belongs righteousness. But to us... Open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, meaning to those who are still there, who are in Jerusalem, those who are also then scattered, because he says, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them, because, why? Because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To you, O Lord Yahweh, the covenant keeper, to you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. Verse 8. It's almost a rhetorical, to us, O covenant keeper, belong open shame. Because you are the covenant keeper, you've kept your word, we haven't kept ours. To our kings, to our princes, And to our, what's that word there again? Mm. Fathers. Because we have sinned against you. This phrase sinned against you is in verse 5, 8, 11, and 15. And ultimately the, the, the Hebrew word for sin is to miss the mark. Really cool thing that I found, if you guys want to do a little study, write it down in Judges 20 verse 6. This word is used, Judges 20 verse 6, where it's written about 700 left-handed soldiers who are able to sling a sling, a sling a stone, and not miss a hair. They hit it every time. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? 700 soldiers that are left-handed... Any left-handers out there today? Yeah? You can give a little woo-hoo. Yeah, left-handed. All right, left-handed soldiers that sling a stone, and there's a hair, and they can hit the hair with it every time. So the text, what we see here, is to miss that. For our text here, we've missed the hair. We can't hit it the mark. We are not able to, to do it every time. We have sinned, and notice who he says that they have sinned against. There's a responsibility that we have, again, to who? To our master, to the one who has given covenant to us. We report to him, and we've sinned against him, Daniel says here. Verse 9, to the Lord, our God, belong mercy and forgiveness For we have rebelled against him and we have not obeyed the voice of the Yahweh, the covenant, our God, by walking in his laws, which he said before his servants, the prophets. We haven't kept our covenant, our side of the deal. Let me pause for a second here. It's becoming a problem in churches today where we don't want to talk about sin, where we don't want to use that word. And I know sometimes it's hard, and sometimes we don't want to use that word. Sometimes I use the word disobey, which that's in our text, too, of what the people did. They disobeyed God. But let me caution, and let me, let, let me caution us as we think about this. If I, if I try to downplay sin in any part of my life, I head down a slippery slope... That moves me away from the realization of who God is and his great act of salvation for me. I was told once for a funeral that I could preach, but not to use the word sin or to call people sinners. I was creative, of course. Like you're all disobedient. And I said, "It's like you shot an arrow at the mark and you missed the bull'seye every time. Do you sit here today realizing and acknowledging that you are a sinner? Because if you don't, then you don't have a place to start. We are all sinners. The Bible very clearly makes that extremely clear. We are all sinners, every one of us. There is none who does good. Meaning, we can't earn a right standing. Because anything that we do right is like filthy, disgusting rags before God. Daniel in his confession not only says that we have sinned, but I love if you jump towards the next section in verse 20. It says, while I was speaking and praying, confessing, what does Daniel say here? My sin and the sin of the people of Israel. A lot of people will make Daniel out because there's nothing negative written about him. Oh, he was a perfect man. Daniel wasn't perfect. And we see that because here he says, I'm confessing my sin. I'm confessing my disobedience. I'm confessing that I need the forgiveness of God. He's not perfect. Sometimes we lift up those who are in other places and we claim that they are the Savior. No, there's only one Savior. Verse 11, all Israel has t- transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that were written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, had been poured out upon us. Because, there's that phrase again, we have sinned against us. I'm just wondering, can you say that? I have sinned. Can you say that out loud? I have sinned. And can you say this? I am a sinner. I am a sinner. Meaning, even though we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we follow Him and we desire to obey Him, we still sin. It's important that we acknowledge that because it's important that we acknowledge that God is perfect and holy and we must confess our sin. John tells us in 1 John 1, 1.9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. But this, it's a contingent. If we confess our sin, then he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Here, Daniel is pleading for his people. And sure enough, he references that God has been faithful to keep his word. Because he references the law of Moses, the servant of God, his written law has been poured out on us. He's referencing that as Israel continued in their sin, God brought the promised judgment that he said he would bring to them. Aren't you thankful that God keeps his word? even if it may mean that he disciplines us as he writes in the new testament verse 12 he confirmed his word he has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who for, who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity for under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against jerusalem as it is written in the law of moses all this calamity has come upon us, yet. It's a key word. This is like a hinge of a two-way door, okay? All these bad things have happened. God has fulfilled his word in keeping that, that, that the curse that he promised upon his people, if they didn't obey him, he was going to pour out. God has poured out that curse. He has punished Israel and yet, they turned from it, right? I spanked my son so he no longer gets into the cookie jar. I wish that were true. Not that Zach does that anymore. But it's, that's a hypothetical. What, I, what I'm trying to give you is an illustration of today. We do the same thing. What Daniel was, is helping us to see is, listen, God told you, if you abandon him, if you don't worship him, if you don't keep his laws, you turn your back on God and his curses will be upon you. And those curses were clearly laid out in the law. Those things took place and yet Israel, what does it say? Yet we have not entreated the favor of the covenant God of God's Elohim, by turning from our iniquities and gaining insight from your truth. Meaning we didn't call upon God to forgive us of our sin. And we didn't search his truth. We didn't dig in to his word. We didn't seek him. It's an abandonment. Israel hasn't learned. They've missed it. Folks, we're living in that today. We're living in that right before us today. And yet it's pride and it's arrogance that keeps us from realizing when we sin against the Holy God, we need to stop and we need to humble ourselves and confess it to him, knowing that he desires to forgive us. And when we sin, we seek and and, and entreat him. We we beg and we plead for his mercy as Daniel is pleading for He's pleading for God's mercy to shine upon him. Why won't we do that? Because we're proudful and we're arrogant and our hearts become hardened. We become desensitized. We become passive and we just allow the world to continue to live by and I'm going to continue to make it. It's okay. It's not what I dreamed of. It's not the life that I wanted, but it could be worse. No, that's not what God desires. His word tells us that if we humble ourselves, we confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us, that he wants to cleanse us. He wants that relationship to be restored and for us to have a close, longing walk with him each day. But it's our pride and it's your arrogance. It's my pride and my arrogance that keeps me from that. Would you admit that today? yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord. Verse 14, Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord, the covenant God of gods, is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. Daniel is saying, God, you have a right to have done everything that you have done. Everything that has taken place in the destruction of, And the sending out of your people amongst the nations is right because, Lord, you've said it. And you are always right. Verse 15. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. What's he referencing? Again, the passage of scripture from Joshua. Joshua 24, verse 17 it's almost identical to what we're reading here. Isn't it awesome to know that Daniel was reading some of the same Old Testament that you and I read today? Isn't that amazing? And that the truth of the word is alive and it's active and it can get into our lives to the point it pierces beyond just the skin or bone. It pierces into our soul. Thus, why we need to be in the word And as Daniel is praying, he remembers, God, you are the one who brought your people out of Israel, out of Egypt. With a mighty hand, he says, and you have made a name for yourself. As at this day, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. He's going to come back and he's going to reference that in just a moment. Don't miss it. You have made a name for yourself. Verse 16, O Lord, according to all your righteous act, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy one or your holy hill, because of, for our sins and for the iniquities of our... Wait, what's that word there again? Jerusalem and all your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Daniel is pleading for God to remove what does it say there? He says, turn your wrath, turn your anger away. Why? Daniel doesn't say, because we can't handle it anymore, Lord. We can't hack it anymore, Lord. We're so weak and freeble and, 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 and just we're poor. No, no why does Daniel ask God's mercy to shine and for him to remove his anger and to to remove his wrath from the city of Jerusalem? It's because of the name of God. Because your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, our God, our God, the Elohim, of Elohim's, Listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. He's saying, Lord, would you bring back your temple for your name, for your glory, God, because it is about you. His plea for mercy is yes for the people, but it's ultimately so that God will be glorified. What an awesome prayer that Daniel would have this perspective that it's not just about them confessing their sin and getting right with God and living their lives. Confessing our sin helps the name of God to be most glorified. Think about that. When you confess your sin to God, what happens to you? I'm just here. Who's glorified in that? Who is shining through you and able to display his great name? Verse 18. Oh my God, incline your he- ear to hear. Open your ears and see, or open your eyes and see our desolation in the city that is called by your name. Remember when I preached... For a couple weeks early on, when Jerusalem was defeated, all right? When Jerusalem was defeated by Nebuchadnezzar, he took the articles that were in the temple and he took them and put them with his gods, with their articles. We see that even later on in the kings after Nebuchadnezzar. Why is that significant? Because it means this. Your God isn't strong enough to defend you. You must have done something wrong and your God is not going to be able or is strong enough to be able to help you to win this battle. Over and over again, we read throughout the Old Testament, when God tells his people to act and to go, they are to obey him. And that he was going to be their God and that he was going to defeat these armies When the nation of Israel is redeemed and brought out of Egypt and they're traveling in the wilderness for 40 years and they go to look upon the land that God has promised them, what do they see? They see giants and they are overcome with fear that they can't overcome them. They will not defeat them because they are too high, too mighty, too great. And they suffer consequence. Because why? Because they lack the trust That God would fight for them. And so it must be because God isn't strong enough or big enough, these other kings believe. That's why Israel was defeated. But Daniel is crying out and saying, Listen, God, I know that you are mightier and that you're stronger than any of these other nations. I know that your name is higher and greater and more powerful than any of these other kings. You alone are God and you, God, your name, these other nations, they look at us and it's not just about us. It's about you, God. They're defaming your name because of what's happening. God, would you stop that? And would you allow your name? To be lifted up again? Would you allow your city, his call here is the call for the temple to be rebuilt so that God would be most glorified through their worship? I love this second part of this chapter or verse 18. Oh my God, incline to your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolation in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness. Jesus says, I don't have anything to offer you. I'm coming to you because why? But because of your great what? Mercy. Isn't it awesome? Our God is merciful and kind. Verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Three times he uses this word master, Adonai, Lord, you are my master. Would you please hear your servant? Lord, my master, would you please forgive your servant? Oh, Lord, my master, would you please take attention? And would you please act? Do not delay, he says, for your own sake. Oh, my Elohim, the God of the universe. Because your city and your people are called by Your name. See, Israel was called to be distinct and holy and set apart from every other nation. It dawned on me this week. Do do you know what the word church is in Greek? Uh, It's ecclesia. And do you know what it means? To be called out of you get chills? We're not Israel. The promises that are given directly to Israel don't apply to us. All right? There are lessons to be learned. But isn't it amazing how God would set up the church to be called out of, to be called out of the world and to be distinct and set apart for him, for his namesake, just as Israel was Here's an answer. Gabriel shows up. We haven't talked a lot about him. I don't know if I'll have time to talk about him. Interesting study. All right. Here, an angel shows up. His name's Gabriel. We see him a couple times throughout scripture. Pretty cool that God has servants, angels working. Don't forget that. All right. Don't forget that God is always working and he has messengers and servants working all across this world. In this universe. It says, while I was speaking, Daniel says, I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my plea before the covenant God, the covenant Elohim, God of gods, for the holy hill of my God, meaning for the temple so that there would be a sacrifice being able to be presented again. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the Time of the evening sacrifice. We don't know if he had wings. The swift flight, yeah, but he appears as a man. So does a man have wings? No, I don't have wings. You got wings? I don't have wings. We don't know exactly what this looks like, but we know this. Gabriel looks like a man. He comes quickly before Daniel, and he shares this. He made me understand. Speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and to give you understanding. Verse 23. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. Would you just stop? And if you have your Bibles, would you underline that? Would you underline that first part of verse 23? At the beginning, circle that word beginning. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you. For you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand his vision. The vision. Isn't it awesome that when we talk, God knows. You say, well, why do I have to talk? Because it humbles us. It helps to put us in the proper place. At the beginning of your plea, Daniel, a word went out. At the beginning of your time that you were spending with God, Gabriel says, God sent me with the word to come to you. And I want to give you understanding of what is to come. What has Daniel's prayer and plea been for? It's been for Jerusalem. It's been for the temple. It's so that God's name would be honored. So let's look at these last four verses. We're going to do it quickly because I'm already over. 70 weeks, verse 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal both vision and prophet and to anoint a most holy place. If you just stop right there, there's a lot in that verse. And we don't have time to digest it. But let me tell you, there's a ton. Ultimately, there needs to be a final sacrifice is what he's saying. An everlasting righteousness. See, the blood of bulls and goats does not ot- uh, uh, attain righteousness Forever, You have to continue to sacrifice bulls and goats. But there is one whose blood was more precious than the blood of bulls and goats. And that was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. His blood was atoned for everlasting righteousness. Isn't that cool? We know that side of the story. And Daniel is saying, listen, there's going to come a time 70 weeks are decreed. This is hard to understand because this word 70 weeks... There's not really a term here for us in English to be able to translate well. So it's seven. All right. Sevens are decreed about your people. I don't want to get too hung up on here. There's lots of different thoughts, lots of different opinions, lots of different views on this, on some great and godly men and women who just differ. Don't let it tear you apart. That's why I think the first 23 verses are just as critical and important as these last four. What we see, verse 25, "...know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. And then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing." Let me explain to you what I believe this is. I think this is a 70 times 7. This is 490 years. And you say, well, where did you come up with that? We can have a discussion later. All right, I don't have time. But if you dig into the word and you dig into Revelation, you see uh, Revelation 11 and chapter 12 and chapter 13 talk about uh, these years. And as we see this, the first 7 by 7s or 49 years. All right. That is starts with the commencement with the command to rebuild Jerusalem. Ezra, Ezra shares that in 458 BC when Ezra shares out and he says, hey, let's go rebuild. And it's Ezra's job to go rebuild the temple. I believe that's what we're talking about. Some people will look at Nehemiah and, and where Nehemiah goes out in 445 BC and where Nehemiah goes out and he rebuilds the wall. For the city. Whatever you do, you can take whichever one that you want. All right. They do still line up when we see after these 49 years, all right. From 458 BC, we see to a commencement of the Jerusalem and where it is. At that point in 409 BC, then we have 434 years. That's the next 62 times 7. That's 434 years. All right. And that will be a time where we see, it's the end of the first seven, to the time of Christ. Some will say that's Christ when he is baptized, where he starts his ministry as the Messiah. Others will point to his entrance into Jerusalem on what we would call Palm Sunday. All right, whatever you do, however you come up with that, you'll see it ties together. It's pretty cool, pretty cool how God keeps his word, all right? We just have to figure out some of the numbers and some of the dates. But let me tell you, God's word is always right. Even if I can't understand it. In that time, then we will see, at that point, we know in AD 32 or 33, what happens. Christ is what? He's crucified. He is rejected as the Messiah. He's rejected as Israel's king. What is placed upon the top of the cross when Jesus is there? What's it say? King of the Jews. Okay, he's rejected as king of the Jews. At this point, there is a pause. I believe there is a pause in this because Daniel doesn't write about the church. I don't believe that God gives Daniel insight about the church age or to the the message to the Gentiles. The time and the age where we live now. All right, because Israel rejects they're Messiah, they are scattered abroad until something glorious takes place and they are brought back as a nation. Remember that? We talked about that uh, last week. In May 14th, 1948, all of a sudden Israel has been declared a nation once again. And so that helps us as we live in this paused age, the last week, all right, the last seven is coming. It's approaching. You have to have a nation to be able to fulfill what Daniel was saying, which means the end times are coming. We don't know when, but we see it's clearly coming during this pause. God has extended salvation just like he did in the old Testament, but a little bit different. He's extended the call of the Messiah to both Jews and Gentiles. Why? Why? As we read the the message of Paul, Paul says it's so that the Jewish people would be jealous. They're jealous that we would call their God our God. That we would claim that he forgives us just like he forgives them. And it leads some Jews to repentance and others, there's a hardness of heart. This last seven years, we see Paul talks about in Romans chapter 11, verse 25 through 29, and we see even in another prophet, Zechariah talks about it in chapter 12, verse 10 through chapter 13, verse 1. I don't have time to look at that. You can go through it. But ultimately, this last seven years, all right, it's finished when Christ returns. What we see is in the middle, that three and a half years of what we read in Revelation 11, 1, Revelation 12, 14, and Revelation 13, 5. This isn't just some Something that's just made up. The text of the Word of God goes together and you can see how it flows. It's awesome. And I'm sorry if I get so crazy up here, but I feel like right now, like it is so awesome to see the Old Testament, what Daniel's talking about here in Daniel 9, and how it ties in with even what Zechariah talks about as a prophet, what Paul's talking about, and even what John, the Apostle John, writes in the book of Revelation. Hundreds of years later and how they all tie together in these last, the end of years, they're coming. In these last seven years, Israel will be brought back together. And after those seven years, you know who shows up? Their Messiah. The one who will rule on this earth as their king. Jesus will sit on the earthly throne of David. Just as it's been promised. So Daniel's hearing this. He's starting to try to understand this. And God has given him a picture and saying, listen, there is one who's going to deliver your people. I'm going to answer your prayer. It may not happen in your timing, Daniel, but I want you to know I'm going to keep my word. How does this apply to us? Three things quickly. One, who do you, who do you call? I was going to make a reference to Ghostbusters. I don't have time for that. Who who do you call in your life? If you're Daniel, and maybe you're not agonizing about things, but I think there's some things that we could definitely agonize. Who do you call? Do you call out to your master? Do you call out to your Lord? The one who is over you The one who is in control of all things. What is your position? I, I put this in here because I think it's important. Daniel understood his position as he's praying and pleading with God. He understands that he's a servant of the true and living God. And he desires to continue to be faithful, even at the age of 83. He doesn't understand it all. He's pleading for God's mercy, for his grace, ultimately to show up. But it's because he is God's servant. He's always with the view that God is in control. Over and over and over and over and over again, what do we see throughout Daniel? We see that God dictates the terms. God is sovereign. He is in control. He puts kings in place. He keeps his word as he goes throughout with Israel and he will humble them. He will keep his word about the curses that he was going to shine on them because they didn't keep their word. Because they disobeyed him. And even in that, he would use different Gentile nations. As we've looked and we've seen four different ones, four beasts at different times, he will use. They're not out there on their own. They don't have their own power or their own strength. The things that are happening in your life and the people who are in power and the things that are taking place and your bad boss and your bad teacher and your bad neighbor and all those things that are just... Out of control, you feel. No, there is one who is master, and he is in charge of all things. Don't forget that. It's a lesson we see from Daniel. Listen, God, I know I know you're in charge of all, and I'm your servant. Which requires of us to be humble. To be quick to say, Lord, I want to confess that I've sinned that I've sinned against your word, that I've sinned against what you've desired. Will you forgive me? Will you help me to live according to what you want? Which is then this third. Isn't it awesome that we have a covenant God who answers. There's a covenant God who answers. Again, I I, I knew, I came in really early this morning because last night I was dreading it. I was sitting there watching a certain team that has orange that plays football. Um, and I was sitting there thinking, I have so much information. I don't even have time to go through it all Lord. So I got up early this morning. I came in and I'm like, Lord, I got to narrow this down. And I narrowed it down and I still went way over. But if you would, please, would you look at this passage? I'm going to give you, would you write it down in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 16 and 17? the writer of Hebrews is going to reference Jeremiah, the prophet. And just as Daniel was referencing Jeremiah and his 70 years, I want to call you to look at this promise from from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. And then I want you to read all of chapter 13, because it tells us how we're then to live. And ultimately, in summary, what it's about, and I see it's up on the screen, it's about a covenant that God makes with us. Do you understand that God has given us a new covenant? And in a couple of weeks when we celebrate and we partake in communion, it is that celebration of a new covenant. And so we have a God who answers us. He is a covenant keeper God. He keeps his word. We live with the new covenant today. And finally, to... Finish up here. I love that phrase in verse 23 when Gabriel says to Daniel, Hey, listen, listen, you are greatly loved. You are greatly loved. We're going to see it in the next chapter too as Daniel is referenced. You know what God says about you? If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you are His child. And you know what? You are greatly loved. We sang, oh Christ, be magnified. Let his praise arise. There's only one to worship. There's only one to follow. And that one says that he loves you. And he wants what's best for you. May we be humble enough to obey him. To please him. To seek him his word and to seek after his face. Would you pray with me, Lord? Thank you again for your goodness. Uh, thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, I, I, wanna, I wanna confess, Lord, before you and before each one that's here, Lord, I am a great sinner in need of your mercy. Thank you for the psalm that Pastor David read. It reminded us of your loving kindness that endures forever. Your hesed, your loving kindness that never runs out. Lord, forgive me for my pride, for my arrogance and thinking that I know what's best for my life. For me thinking that in disappointment and in hardship that i would think that i would know what's better forgive me wanting and desiring your blessing only to fulfill my own passions and my own desires lord forgive me when i seek my pleasure more than i seek your obedience. Thank you, Lord, for being a covenant God who always keeps his word. Thank you for loving us and never failing us. Help us to believe in the truth of your word and not the voices of this world or of the evil one or the lies that we come up with ourselves, May we seek your truth and may you help us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.